Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this 82222, which means August the 22nd in the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we like looking at lessons for the coming week, which is the 12th Sunday after Pentecost, August the 28th in the year of our Lord 2022. The Old Testament reading is from Proverbs 25. The epistle is from Hebrews 13. And the gospel is from Luke chapter 14. Now we're going to be taking a look at the gospel, Luke 14, verses 1 to 14. But interestingly, what Jesus has to say is also found in Proverbs 25 and Hebrews 13. So, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now, what's that talking about? Well, as you well know, many of the Pharisees did not like Jesus at all. They felt that he was messing up Judaism, which taught that one is saved by works. Remember the Pharisee? Thank God I'm not like that tax collector because I tithe, I fast. And he was naming the ceremonial laws that he was following. The Apostle Paul says, well, when I was a leading Pharisee, I followed the ceremonial laws more than anyone, did not break any of them. And yet I consider them all as rubbish in comparison to the gift of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So that's why they were watching him carefully. They were trying to catch Jesus in a thinking that would really move the people against Jesus. Remember, In this same book, Luke records a lawyer, an attorney going to Jesus, asking him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And his purpose was to get Jesus to say something that would be contrary to what the people believed. And therefore, they would have a good condition in putting him to death. Well, they were watching him carefully. And notice what the first words of this text says. It's on the Sabbath. In Judaism, the Sabbath, which was Saturday, was considered a day of rest. And therefore, you were not to do any work. And so they would not even allow a doctor to go and help someone unless it was a matter of life or death. But normally doctors were to take Saturday off. So, verse 2. Behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now that was a illness that really made it difficult for him to walk and do other things. And so 
here was this man who had this illness, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? The next line is interesting. But they remained silent. See, they were realizing that whichever way they would answer Jesus would put them in a problem because they believed that doctors normally don't work on the Sabbath unless it was a matter of life or death. So Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they remained silent. So then Jesus took this man with the dropsy and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, that is the lawyers and the Pharisees, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And then verse six, and they could not reply to these things. See, this is really important so that you too know how to deal with those who contradict the Bible somewhere. What you do, especially with people like the Pharisees who said, well, we believe the Bible, is you take another verse from the Bible to show that they are wrong. Jesus did that with the Sadducees once. Now, the Sadducees were different than the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they held to all the books of the Old Testament. But the Sadducees only held to the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they also did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. So Jesus questioned them, and he only used the Bible verses that they thought were part of the Bible. He said, is it not true that when Moses was on Mount Sinai in the burning bush, that he asked the name of God, and God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And another passage in those five books says that God is a God of the living, not of the dead. Jesus was making the point, if you hold to the first verse I gave you in the book of Genesis, that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then he must also be a God of the living, and they must be living. Now, by the way, that was in Exodus, the burning bush. So what Jesus does is he takes Bible verses and shows how they contradict false teaching. That is a wonderful method in reaching out to people who are confused about the teachings of the Bible. That's what Sunday school teachers need to be doing. 
when they say something is true, back it up with other Bible passages. As I've said on this program many a time, if I say something that you don't agree with, contact me and ask me, what is the evidence? And if I cannot give you another Bible verse, then turn the station. I am a false preacher. But what I say is always found with a Bible passage somewhere. So Jesus uses the minds of the Pharisees to confuse them, showing that they cannot reply to his things. Now, to those who were invited uh, to the house of the Pharisee, he gave this parable, particularly when he noticed how the Pharisees would choose the places of honor. Now, where you sat around a table made a big difference. For example, in some households, it's the end of the table where the father sits. In some meetings, it's the middle of the table. And that was also true in Jesus' day as to where people should sit around a table. And the tables were very low to the ground, so they would often lie with their feet outstretched from the table. That's why the woman was able to come in and bathe the feet of Jesus, wiping them with her hair. In other words, where you sat was important. Can you imagine going to a wedding and everybody is sitting down on the floor at tables, but you decide to go and sit beside the bride at the head table? Well, you'll know what's going to happen. The groom is going to come in, and he's going to replace you. So, this is what Jesus says, beginning with verse 7. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, what's the purpose of that parable? That parable can be used in a sinful way. Uh, for example, I, as a pastor, may be invited to speak the prayer at a meeting or at the beginning of a wedding rehearsal 
or at the dinner. And so I could say to myself, well, when I come, I'll go sit in a very low place far away from those who are heading up the banquet and they will tell me to come forward and I will be honored. That would be a sinful reason in following this parable. The parable is really showing the humility of Jesus himself. He came and because he was incarnate by the gift of the Holy Spirit, which means he became a human being, he came in the lowest place as a sinner, in fact, that God declared him to be in order that he might die on the cross for the sins of every person in the world. That's humbling oneself. And he therefore is exalted to the right hand of God. Similarly with us, we should not be doing things to make ourselves look good or more important than people think we are in order that we'd have a good reputation. God is saying that we will be exalted. It may not occur here on earth, but it will be on the day of judgment when we will be exalted having used our humility and being humbled in ways that helps other people. This also is found in Proverbs, the Old Testament reading, chapter 25. It says in verse 6, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Now that is Proverbs 25, verse six. And it is exactly what Jesus is saying. When you're invited to a wedding, go sit in the lowest place because your host may ask you, friend, come up, move up higher into an honorable chair in the presence of all who sit at table with you. So this is really an attitude on the part of the Christian that he doesn't want to make more of himself than he is or that he wishes to be. He allows Jesus to honor him, exalt him as he is humbled in the presence of God. Jesus continues in Luke 14 with another statement, beginning with verse 12, saying to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return, and that is the way you will be repaid. You see, a lot of people, when they invite 
individuals to their party. They want to have the best of individuals, maybe the richest, those who are closest to them, so that they all have a good time. And that they will be repaid by being invited to their banquets. But Jesus says, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Well, that's interesting. How can you be blessed if they can't repay you? Well, the next sentence tells us, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, this is really a critical point in the ministry of Jesus, that he reminds us that the promise to Abraham was not just the forgiveness of sins and many other blessings, but the primary promise to Abraham in leaving the land in which he was dwelling securely is that God was going to take him to the promised land. And that promised land was somewhat characterized by Canaan, but it always pointed to what Jesus says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The promised land to which God has promised you, the believer, is not anywhere here on earth. It's really the land of Jerusalem. It is the heavenly Zion that you will be going to. In fact, that is another big point that Jesus makes through the writer to the Hebrews that he will never leave us nor forsake us and that we are not to be led by diverse people. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. For we have here, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. So through Jesus, we continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The point that he is making here is the same point that the Old Testament lesson from Proverbs 25 says that bless he who you are arguing with, lest he bring shame upon you, upon your ill repute, there will be no end. So what God is doing in these three lessons is making a big point 
This is the wisdom of God. We are to endure the reproaches that people will give to us as they have given to Jesus. And that certainly is occurring in this country today, where there are many who are living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin, and yet they think that what they are doing is right from God's point of view, but it is not. And so it is important that we come to realize that God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. What the main point here is, is that God is bringing us to a new place, a new home. It will not be Mount Sinai, where there is thunder and voices and earthquakes and burning fire. Fear were among the people, said to Jesus, let us leave this area. In fact, one of the rules was even if a mountain was touched by an animal, that animal would be put to death, let alone human beings that were not permitted to climb Mount Sinai. God did select some to come and speak with him, but not everyone. This is in stark contrast to Mount Zion. Even though in Judaism, there were certain people that were not permitted to come into the temple proper, like women and children, Gentiles and the ill, those who were lame, blind, those who were deaf or mute. They were being punished by God. And therefore, one of the reasons why they wanted to put Jesus to death was that he was taking away the negative consequences that God had given to sinners by making them blind or deaf. Remember in John 9, when they and Jesus and the disciples confront a man blind since birth, the disciples asked this crazy question, who sinned? he or his parents, that he became blind. And Jesus said, no, he was blind in order that I might show the wonderful works of God. And he healed this blind man from birth. And that blind man, when he was able to see, confessed Jesus as the Messiah, believed in him. And guess what? He is repaid at the resurrection of the just. The just refers to every Christian who has faith in the promises of Jesus Christ. If there's anything that law and gospel tells us, we are not saved by any works that we do. We're saved instead by believing. That means having faith in the promises of Jesus Christ. And that faith means that our sins don't go away, but they might as well be taken away because they are taken to the cross by Jesus 
where he pays for them. And that was clear in what he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus was forsaken, separated from the Father, because he was the greatest sinner in the world, taking upon his own flesh the punishment for sin, which he did not deserve because he was totally innocent. He never had sinned against any commandment, but he was willing to suffer that for you. That's why the cross is so important for the believing Christian because at the cross, we hear the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And that forgiveness is the gift that precedes the greatest fulfillment of promise that God ever made. He made it to Abraham that he would be going to a new home, and that new home was not here on earth, but it was to occur at the resurrection of the just. And at that point, then Jesus says, you will be with those who you have loved, those who are believers in Christ. And most importantly, you will be with Jesus and you will see him face to face for an eternity. That is the fulfillment of the greatest promise that God has given to any human being. And he gave it beginning even with Adam and Eve, that through them would come the Messiah. And that Messiah did come in the name of Jesus, our Savior. That's the lessons for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost from Proverbs 25, Hebrews 13, and Luke 14. Join us tomorrow when, with Mark Smith, I, Tom Baker, will examine the hymn, Son of God, Eternal Savior. That will be seen from a law and gospel point of view. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.